This is Calvin, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You've accessed the Black Talk Radio Show, and we're presenting you with social commentary from an African-American perspective. One thing I must let you know is that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this show and others, please log on to KUCI.org. Okay, so as you already know, uh, <laughs> this is another show. This is not the Do You Know show. This is still Calvin, but it's the Black Talk Radio show. I find this scientifically fascinating. Okay, fascinating, Aspach. That's right. Okay, um, I just want to let you know that we going to be we going we're going to be sharing specifics on the purpose and intent of this KUCI premiere broadcast today, and uh, we want you all to get an idea of what it is that we're going to do a little differently than the Do You Know show. It's going to be pretty much the same because we're still going to do interviews, and hopefully, the title of the show won't prevent those of another persuasion from coming on and sharing with us because the title, The Black Talk Radio, is not about black. It's basically a commentary on the situations that are occurring in this country and indeed the world, and they're spoken on from a black perspective, and that perspective being my own. Um, I think it's so important for this to take place because... For so long now, I've been concerned about the situation in our country and in the world and its relationship to the um, uh, racism that continues to exist all around the world. And be that as it may, a lot of us feel that it's false, that there's a period that's going on now that's called post-racism period in some circles, but I know that that is so so untrue this is uh <laughs> this is still going on has been going on ever since i was born and having had experienced it for the past 65 years i know it's still present and i can i can taste it you know what i mean and so what i want to do on this particular show is to give you guys my perspective on not just racism, but all the things that exist uh, in this country and abroad that I've experienced and want you to get an idea of what it is that and how it is that I see it. Um, it's so important for me to, to share knowledge, you know, and I think that it's so, so very important for all of us to receive knowledge. And it's a shame that a lot of times because of our uh, prejudices, uh, we don't allow others to speak on something that they might be more aware of than we are simply because we have a, a, a prejudged idea of what it is that they're going to say and thereby we don't really want to, we, we really don't want to hear it. So we don't even give them a chance to express it. It's funny to me that um, uh, Caucasian people, you know, for the most part are not really in tune with what the black experience is simply because they don't care to, to, to take a look at it. 
And another reason being is that they cannot really know what it's about because they cannot experience it. And the same holds true for myself. I cannot speak on Caucasian issues because I'm not and I haven't experienced them. You know, I, I, I sometimes think about uh, the Jewish experience, for in- instance, the, uh, the Holocaust, you know, and, and how they speak on, you know, the things and the atrocities that occurred to them um, but that, you know, were inflicted by the Germans and uh, how it's likened to the black experience when in reality is two entirely different circumstances, two entirely different ways of looking at things. And there's no way in the world that I can talk about the Holocaust, you know, even though we've suffered a great deal of injustices and uh, uh, just atrocities committed against us as black people. Uh, they, others cannot uh, talk, really talk about that as well. And so where do we come to grips with and when do we come to grips with the fact that there are, are so-called experts on every topic, you know, that exists. But the expert is truly the one who has experienced the situation, not the one who has witnessed it and feels qualified to talk about it because they've taken 74 uh, courses in, in, in uh, the black experience or written 24 books about the black experience, you know. So I feel definitely qualified to talk about something that I've lived for the past 65 years, and I feel qualified as well to give you an idea of of what it's like. You know, not only that, as I said before, you know, it's all about obtaining knowledge and sharing that knowledge because if we're to coexist uh, amicably on this planet, we need to know a little bit more about each other. We need to know the truth about each other. And then we'll be able to uh, equitably share the truth with one another and perhaps reach a, an equilibrium in this situation that we find ourselves in. Um, just a, a, a couple of things that I think are, are really important. One being that I want you guys to know that everything that is discussed on this program is going to be taken from uh, uh, some concepts that I learned uh, in a in a program that I participated in for for some years, and um, one of them, one of the concepts is honesty. You know, for me, I'm going to be as honest as I possibly can. I think that's so important because when we're sharing something with someone, uh, we have to come, I believe, from our heart if the truth is to be expressed. Because sometimes when we you know, we, we feel that maybe I shouldn't say it this way. Maybe I should say it in another way so that they can get what it is I'm talking about. But I feel that it's so important to be totally and perhaps brutally honest about what it is that we're talking about so people will know where we're coming from, not have to guess or, or, or um, just make up something uh, that they feel is, is what we're trying to express. Uh, another one is open-mindedness, another concept. And what I mean by open-mindedness basically is that I'm going to be open in terms of listening to and, and, and um, uh, conceptualizing what it is that I'm hearing from someone else. Every guest that's on this show, every caller that calls in, you know, you can be, uh, uh, feel, you know, sure that what Calvin Gann is going to say on this show is something that's being expressed from a point of objectivity, 
You know, I'm not going to be prejudiced or subjective as best I can because, as I said, I've been living with racism for 65 years, and I have, and I am prejudging in a lot of instances. You know, but I'll I'll definitely share that with you, you know, and still be open-minded enough to uh, offset that that whatever prejudices I might have, you know, for the uh, benefit of the one who's doing the talking and for my own benefit as well because I want to hear the truth and I don't want to block that truth from being conveyed to my audience because of some uh, uh, prejudices that I that are pre-existing in me uh, and the other one is is willing you know and that's willing to share and to give of myself so that others can benefit from it you know and I cannot you know demand that that all my guests and all the callers do the same thing but I, I really would appreciate it if you were able to do that, just to be honest about yourself and others, be open minded enough to at least listen to what it is that others have to say and then to be discerning in, in, in how you take it and how you understand it. And then to be willing to share your opinion, you know, your honest opinion about what it is that you've heard or what you've experienced in life. And so with that being said, um, I want to get to the, the gist of what um, I'm trying to convey here in terms of this show and the purpose for the show, and that being, uh, again, the uh, uh, acquisition of knowledge, acquisition of the truth, you know, the things that are, are, are um, being conveyed to us are, are biased in a sense because whatever the objective of the person doing the conveyance is, then that's going to be reflected in what it is that they're saying. There's a lot of situations in this country and in the world, indeed, that we feel are um, truthful, you know, when in reality they're not. And not because the person doesn't want to be truthful, but because if the person is truthful, then they cannot obtain what it is that, that they're seeking to obtain. And in most, if not all cases, that's wealth. You know, uh, it's, it's all about being able to convince us you know, that what they're saying is something that needs to be uh, observed and, and accepted as the truth because um, they want us to feel that they're on our side when in reality they're on the side of acquisition. Uh, example, uh, Bill Gates. There's a, a new uh, uh, drug out for hepatitis C. And uh, I had the opportunity to... Um, um, participate in a, in, a, in a situation where I was eligible as a candidate to receive this drug. Now what has happened is that the drug um, is a thousand dollars a pill. That's right, you heard me right, a thousand dollars a pill. And it's, um, it's done for 84 weeks. You take this pill for 84 weeks. 84 weeks, I'm sorry. <laughs> 12 weeks which uh, uh, comes out to about $84,000 for the entire program. Now, what has happened is that Bill Gates uh, is, um, uh, as you all know, um, he contributes a lot of money to a lot of different uh, uh, situations, you know, a lot of different types of things that are conducive to the well-being of others, uh, a philanthropist, if you will and uh, one of the biggest philanthropists in the world. But anyway, he has contributed money for this particular drug, from my understanding, and uh, after it was developed, you know, he um, 
went along with the the price of the drug, a thousand dollars a pill, and he did what he could in the lobbying and that kind of thing to make sure that people who were not able to afford it, you know, would be given an opportunity and a break and uh, 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 be able to uh, obtain this drug. And so it seems to be that, you know, well, that's a that's a wonderful thing, Bill Gates, you know, you being a, a multi-billionaire and all and, and able to help those of us who do not have as much money to be able to get drugs that are, are, are you know, uh, capable of, well, not capable, but presumably capable of uh, relieving us of hepatitis C. That has yet to be proven because it's only been out for about a year. Anyway, um, this $1,000 appeal, $84,000 for the entire treatment, uh, there's a, a generic form of it that can be done in the same seven-week period for $900. Now you ask, wow. <laughs> I mean, at least I did. You know, I wondered, wow. How can something that costs $84,000 uh, have a, 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 a such a big, large effect or better effect, more beneficial effect than something that costs nine hundred dollars. I mean, if, if if you can get these all these pills for nine hundred dollars and they're charging you eighty four thousand dollars, there's definitely something wrong with that picture. And from my perspective, Bill Gates, I would you know think that you would try to take a look at that, and and then I have to think about it. You know, if you're in that in that in that realm, that one percent realm of the people whose main objective is to become wealthy. You know, regardless of what it is that your uh, uh, ob- your objective is, you know, regardless of it is, regardless of what it is in terms of you really caring about people, the fact of the matter is, you have to go along with the program that exists, and that program indeed is about making more and more money. So I would think that you would say, you know, no, let's let me support something that's going to be less expensive for people and then uh, do something else with this money that I've donated in terms of finding the, 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 the product that's best suited for everyone in terms of cost and in terms of uh, benefits to the uh, person receiving them. Be that as it may, it's, uh, that's the way it is. That's the way the society has been set up. So the fact of the matter is, what with all this knowledge and, and, and uh, uh capability of this dispersing this knowledge to others you know why is it that it's not something that is broadcast something that is put on online something that everybody who has uh, a liver ailment uh, made aware of you know why is that why is some of this information being withheld except for those like myself who are privy to the information only because of the fact that I was fortunate enough to be in a hospital UCLA that uh, is one of the best uh, hospitals in the country, you know, and uh, um, was able to uh, facilitate for myself an opportunity to be a, a, a part of this program. Uh, whether or not I, I take the drug, um, that's something that we can discuss at a later time. But the fact of the matter is it is available to, available to me uh, at a discounted price and is available to others at a discounted price who are fortunate enough to be able to uh, go to the place where it is available. And that's not something that's happening on the scale that it can happen. And the reason being is because people, and I'm not knocking Bill Gates, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, take a look at, at what it is you're doing 
uh, discuss it with some more people. Ask us, you know, those of us who are not as fortunate as yourself, uh, how we feel about this situation. And then uh, we can discuss possibly what can be done about it. So knowledge is power, you know, and uh, the, the, the sad part about that is, is that knowledge is power. But having knowledge does not grant you power unless you got the power already. You know, Bill Gates got the power. I don't, you know, but the only thing that I can do and I think it's so important that I do it is to share this information with you. Um, and in the hopes that we all can benefit from from that sharing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so um, this is just, you know, just this is just one aspect of this show and, and why I think it's so important for us to be able to take a look at the things that are happening in the world and also take a look at the fact that uh, a lot of things that are happening on based on on situations that have been established from from the very beginning in terms of this country, especially and uh, uh, racism being one of those things, I just like to express one point that I think will give all of you an idea of what it is that makes this broadcast so, so very important. And I'm just going to take uh, one single word that uh, I'm not going to be able to say on the air, but you all are very familiar with it, and it's called the N-word. Now, um, from... The things that have happened thus far in this country, uh, that word has grown by <laughs> leaps and bounds in terms of its uh, importance. Um, and I just want to share with you just a, a little simple thing that points to why I think this program is so important and why the knowledge that can be gained from this program is so important, because it gives us a different view, hopefully, on the things that are being done. OK, let's say that um, you, you, you're talking. I'm talking to another black person. You know, when I use that word and I say that's my N-word, it's done with complete uh, affection. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a terminology that is used to express uh, my concern and my love for another human being. And, and sometimes, you know, when I call someone an N of the same color, you know, it's not used as a term of affection or endearment. You know, I really mean it, you know, in a way that's uh, uh, that I'm 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 letting others know whoever's in within earshot, letting them know that I have disdain for this particular person or disdain for what it is that they've done. That's within the black community. That's how we express it. That's how we see it. And we can tell, you know, when a person says something about that's my N word or he say that should do this or do that you know now we're gonna we're gonna flip the script and go to the white community and let's be honest y'all <clears throat> that word has been used quite a bit in that particular community you know what I mean and and not in the presence of of, of black folks but just among you know the people of the of the same persuasion now the question comes up I'm sure for most of uh, of, of people for most people of that persuasion well, why can y'all use it with each other and we can't use it? Well, the problem for us is the fact that when a, a, a white person calls a black person the N-word, it automatically indicates possession. You own me. <laughs> and that's, that, you know, that's something that's historical. You know, because when you, when you heard back in the day during slavery times, that's, that's Mr. Charlie's N-word, you know, that, that was literally what it meant. 
And we haven't gotten over that yet. I don't know if it's in our DNA or whatever, but, uh, you know, for all my 65 years on this earth, you know, I don't mind a brother calling me that word, but, I, you know, it really bothers me for a Caucasian, you know, to call me that. And that's the reason why. You know, and, and you might want to use it as a term of endearment, but for us, uh, that's an impossibility. And so that's, you know, that's just one thing that I, that I want to point out in terms of, of what it is that we're trying to do, just to give all of us an opportunity to express how we feel about certain situations and how we feel that these situations can be resolved if they're troublesome by just having an understanding of each other. Getting back to, to, to Bill Gates and, and why I think that's so important, uh, to, to even bring that point up is because of the fact that Bill Gates is one of the few, although there are quite a few billionaires in, this, in, the, in the world. There are millions, literally millions of millionaires, you know, and then there are those of us who are thousandaires. That's what, I'm, that's what I am. I'm a thousandaire. <laughs> you know, I don't have millions of dollars. I can, I can access, you know, a few thousand, but that's about the extent of it. You know, and so uh, uh, the, the, the people like Bill Gates, you know, that are, 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 are called the one percent are the ones that have all the power, you know, in terms of what it is that takes place in this country. And there are some billionaires, you know, that 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 don't really they have some power, but they don't have as much power as Bill Gates. Take, for instance, Oprah Winfrey. I think she she's worth maybe a few billion dollars, but um, she can she can do something about the beef industry. If you guys are familiar with that, that show uh, years ago where she uh, talked about beef and and, and the beef prices, uh, uh, not the beef prices, but the stocks on beef were, you know, went down because of of, of, of what she said, you know. And then there are, are things like the presidential election with Obama, which I'm sure had some bearing on black folks voting for Obama because Oprah voted for him. You know what I mean? So so that had some bearing. But for all intents and purposes, uh, Oprah is not one who has control over anything, you know, but her mouth. You know what I mean? And 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 we, of course, the thousandaires have control over nothing the millionaires have control over nothing you know but the fact of the matter is we do have a voice you know and and since we have a voice what we need to do i believe is to bring those voices together and express among each other what it is that needs to be done in terms of those who do have the real power you know and and real power being as it exists in this country because real power for me is spiritual you know and we all have that it's just a matter of coming together and, 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 and sharing um, honestly, open-mindedly, and willingly with one another so that we can at least make a move towards uh, f- establishing and maintaining uh, uh, an equitable uh, situation for all. And so um, with that being said, I just want you guys to, to, to understand that I need you, I definitely need you, to come in, to call in, to, to talk to each other about what it is that you see in terms of what's going on in our country and in the world from your own personal perspective. Be it Latino, be it, be it Asian, be it white, be it black, be it Native American, it makes no difference. We all, we all have something to say. We all have something to, 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 to hear. You know, and we have to we have to share these things with one another if the the hope that things will be okay one day is to become manifest. And so I I, I ask all of you, you know, to 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 continue to tune in, 
to call in, to listen, you know, and to be uh, willing to share what it is that you know from your own personal perspective and not uh, be hesitant to do so because of the, of the consequences of it and those being that somebody won't like you or somebody will think you're racist or somebody will think that because the fact of the matter is if you ain't in the, in the 1%, then you're in the 99 and uh, uh, we got to get together, y'all, <laughs> you know, because if you take a look at it, I mean, just 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 take a look at it. In the one percent, you know, they agree. On one specific thing, let's get paid, you know, they can agree on that and whatever it, whatever it takes to do that, you know, they can they can come to to terms with uh, a common uh, uh, solution to whatever's going on. We, the 99, you know, we can have that same type of power. But because we've been divided by that, the, the people who uh, are now a part of that 1%, because we're being continually divided along racial lines because of the power of that 1%, you know, uh, it's going to be very difficult for us to come together. Very difficult, but it's possible. Is possible and uh, and it needs to be done. And uh, I'm going to continue to speak on it through this show. And I just want to thank uh, uh, KUCI for allowing me an opportunity to be here and for being open minded enough <laughs> to allow this show to take place. OK, I need for you guys just to stay tuned for a couple of seconds for the second half. Okay, if you're just tuning in, you're accessing the Black Talk radio show, and this is the second half of that show. Um, my name is Calvin, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I must let you know that the views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this show and others, please log on to KUCI.org. Okay, we're here for the second half of the Black Talk radio show. And uh, what I'm going to do is uh, turn on the blog that I've recorded, the latest blog that I've recorded, and uh, give you an opportunity to hear a little something that I put together. And then after that, we're going to expound on what it is that I wrote uh, just a little bit. So please stay tuned, listen to what it is that I have to say, and get back with me, and uh, we can talk some more. name of the blog is We're All experts y'all this is calvin and i'd like to share with you my latest blog entitled we're all experts y'all upon entering lake forest college as an english major one of my first assignments was to write an essay on the herman melville novel entitled moby dick i titled the discourse moby dick and its relevance to the black community and likened the large white mammal to the great old U.S. of A, while rendering Captain Ahab 
as the maligned yet formidable black American population. The professor graded the paper with a big red F. He commented that my analogy was totally out of context and remarked that it had nothing to do with Mr. Melville's literary intent. My disagreement notwithstanding, I had to concede that the professor, regardless of his aesthetic leanings, was correct in his assessment simply because he was recognized and accepted as an expert in the literary arena. A number of highly unproductive years later, I signed up for and passed a skilled trades apprenticeship test. After having registered for training, my initial class was tools and equipment. Now at the onset, I developed a sense of racial inadequacy because most of my Caucasian counterparts were well aware of the utilization of the material being discussed. I knew a little something some about hammers, screwdrivers, and the like, but on the other hand, the tools and equipment being presented yielded nothing to me but a total blur. Getting back to the Moby Dick experience, it did coerce me into changing my major to sociology and anthropology, for which I am eternally grateful. It was a fellow apprentice that put my intellectual discomfort in perspective, however, when he inadvertently shared that beginning at the age of seven, he had worked for several years with his father building garages. What an epiphany. Of course he was more familiar with impact wrenches, TIG welders, and the like, because an extended exposure to anything can create at least an unconscious assimilation of knowledge. And, if you like or feel obligated to learn more about what it is you're exposed to, then the sky's the limit. What about you? Ever been in a situation where the other person seems to be such an authority on a particular subject that you envision yourself as an idiot? Well, don't be dismayed. The only difference between you and them is exposure, experience, and possible dedication to whatever it is that they're discussing. By the same token, you know about some stuff that they've never even thought about. From designer clothes to luxury cars, from professional sports to video games, hopscotch to double dutch, rocket science to quantum physics, we all got some information to give to another that they might not already have. My suggestion is that we all garner as much expertise as we can on whatever it is that we have a passion or preference for. Let's then be humble enough to graciously share this knowledge in a non-condescending manner and be open-minded enough to listen to and at least consider the input of another. After all, there are no big eyes and little U's. There's only the one we looking to survive and to thrive. There's a vast universe out there, y'all, and it contains an infinitely unfathomable amount of knowledge, and no one of us will ever acquire it all. However, if each of us becomes willing to share what expertise we do have and to accept that which another is willing to give, we can all leave our every interaction with another with more than what we can. After all, no matter how we choose to look at it, it's ultimately all about us. I'll holler. Okay, you heard it. The latest blog. We're all experts, y'all.
Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in for the second half of the show, uh, I just want to let you know that um, the name of the show has changed. This is still Calvin, but the name of the show is Black Talk Radio. And uh, our first half, um, basically, I just gave an idea of um, the purpose and intent of this particular show, that being to bring uh, a bit of social commentary to you guys from an African-American perspective. And um, albeit um, a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about have nothing to do with race per se, the fact of the matter is, is that I'm coming from a place um, that is comfortable for me and the way that I view things is strictly from that place. It's not um, something, you know, it's, it's amazing to me because, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, racism is something that's still prevalent. Uh, and I know this is not something that I think I know it is. And I, I, what I do think, though, is that a lot of people who are not of the African-American persuasion do not understand uh, the context of what I'm saying simply because you are not of the African-American uh, persuasion. And so, um, again, I just want to, you know, be able to express things from that perspective. And of course, this blog, uh, without my intention, uh, indicates that what I'm talking about is from that particular perspective. So I think it's a, a wonderful thing, and it wasn't my intent to do so, but in, 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 in listening to it myself, uh, I began to understand uh, the, the gist of what it is that I'm trying to convey. I want y'all to know about us, you know, from us, not from somebody else. Uh, anyway, we talked about uh, uh, entering Lake Forest College, and what you have to understand is that uh, Lake Forest College uh, at that time was 1968. The year was 1968. And Lake Forest College at that time was a predominantly uh, white college. I think when I came there, they were probably about no more than, than, than 20 students, 20 African-American students out of 12,000. Um, and um, I entered as an English major because of the fact that uh, uh, the I was I was I was attending Crane Junior College prior to that. I I did a, a year of study at Crane Junior College, and um, I was um, uh, under the uh, tutelage of an English professor, and um, she heard about a program that they were uh, intentionally going to integrate um, white private universities to the extent of ten percent of the population being black. And so they were looking for the so-called cream of the crop. They wanted the best African-American students they could find in the, in, in the specific area. And I was fortunate enough uh, to be one of those particular students. So I got a, a partial scholarship to the college of my choice. Uh, it was about five colleges in the Midwest, and I chose Lake Forest, and I, and I went there. And so going to this place for the first time, I was exposed to uh, Caucasians on a regular everyday basis, and that had never, ever happened for me. You know, I, I remember moving to um, uh, the, the, the Chatham area and uh, from from the, the projects out there in uh, Allgill Gardens. <laughs> you all might not know about that. That's Chicago, but it was a, 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 a I came from the projects and went to to a, a, a a middle class area, you know, by the grace of God. And upon entering school in 1956, uh, half the, the uh, students were white. And by my graduation in 1963, uh, 
there were no white kids in the school at all. And the surrounding neighborhoods were, of course, had been. But, in, you know, in, in a number of years, seven to ten years, all the, the, the Caucasians had left. And so I was exposed to them for, you know, on a regular basis, maybe, you know, during the course of, from 1956 to 1963, I probably met a total of 10 or 12 white kids and uh, um, had no interaction whatsoever with them. Uh, but uh, going to Harlan High School, which was 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 totally black, and then going to Crane Junior College, which was totally black except for the professors, um, I had no idea of what or how other people thought beside myself. But again, going to Lake Forest, um, my mind was opened up, and I was really willing to receive whatever it is that I could because I knew for a fact that in order for me to exist amicably in this society, you know, I would have to at least interact with people of other persuasions. And so I was not really looking forward to it because it was scary for me. You know, it was very scary uh, because of the things that I had been exposed to, that being, you know, uh, no black folks on television, uh, none in the movies except for nannies and, and, and or mammies, I should say, you know, uh, and, and, and shoeshine boys and things of that nature, you know. And then uh, going downtown, you know, my mother made us. We had to, you know, really dress up, put on our Sunday clothes to go downtown because we were going to be around white people. And the same for an area called Roseland. We had to do that because we were going to be around white people. So I had this misconception that white people were superior to me and thereby I had to do some extra stuff in order to compensate for that. And so I, I came to this school with that intent, you know, knowing that it was important for me to gain as much knowledge as I could, but also understanding that I was going to have to put up with some stuff that I might not be comfortable with. My first class, as I expressed, one of the first class, I, as I said, was uh, uh, an English class, you know, because I came in as an English major because I loved English, you know, and, and, and this English professor was the one who got me into the school, you know, and so it just seemed like a fit, you know, go into college and, and, and become an English professor, you know, I mean, a, uh, an, an English major. And then in the process, I felt that I could um, uh, wind up teaching because education has always been my thing you know I could wind up teaching in a in a school an underprivileged school and uh and 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 give to some of the the the, the black students some things that I didn't have uh when I was that age but anyway let me go on and saying that I came in as an English major and uh wrote an essay on the Herman Melville novel Moby Dick now for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do, because it was required reading in most instances. Uh, Moby Dick is this very, very large white whale, and uh, 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 he's caused damage, and uh, he has a personal, he doesn't have a personal, but this Captain Ahab has a personal vendetta against this whale because of the harm that the whale has caused to him personally. You know, and he's made up his mind that I'm going to I'm going to get this well. You know, I'm not going to be just sit back and take everything that this well has been dishing out. You know, I'm going to be different in my regard and, and my action toward this well. And for me, you know, you know, having given you the background of 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 of, of myself, you know, I just felt that whether or not Herman Melville intended this to be the the major objective of this writing. The fact of the matter is it fit. 
And nobody had told me that when you when you do an essay on a book report, you have to try and, and, and ascertain what it is that the author was trying to say. You know, and what I was doing was 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 telling what I garnered from the, 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 the work. You know, and I think that's important if that's not what you're looking for. It's still important because it'll give you an idea of who I am and what I'm about. And I thought that was important. I thought it was a sharing thing. I didn't know it was something where the professor told me uh, what the book was about. And, and if I didn't agree with that, then the grade I was going to receive was going to reflect my disagreement. <laughs> so anyway, um, as I said in the blog, my thing was that this big white whale is America and, uh, and Ahab is the black man, you know, and he's fighting to overcome, you know, the, the, the prejudices <laughs> of this animal, you know, and uh, uh, the way this animal is treating, you know, is treating him. And uh, and that's what I saw. And again, I got an F because this guy was an expert. Right. I mean, he's a, an English professor. He knows a lot more about English than I do or ever will, presumably. So um, so I dealt with that and changed my major, as I say, <laughs> you know, and decided that I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't going to major in English, but sociology and anthropology, which I did. And I'm grateful, as I said, for that, because it has is, is helped me in my interactions with people. Um, so uh, I, a number of years later, and I called them unproductive because of the fact that I was doing some things that were not conducive to becoming educated. But nonetheless, uh, I did them and I don't regret having done them because I learned a lot in the process as well. But anyway, uh, after overcoming uh, the, the, the things that I was faced and burdened with, uh, I signed up for and passed a skilled trades apprenticeship test. Now, again, I'm in a, in a class. I'm the only black guy in the class, you know, and, and, and all the other uh, people in the class are Caucasian. And we're taking this tools and equipment class, and I know nothing about nothing, you know, because they ain't talking about hammers, saws, nails, and screwdrivers and pliers, you know. They're talking about uh, TIG welders and, and, and uh, lathes and uh, uh uh, impact wrenches and you know just all kind of things of which I, I I know nothing about and and these and these other apprentices you know that when the teacher is talking about them you know they're raising their hands and commenting on these tools and and talking about how uh, they experienced some things and how they saw other people experiencing things and and I'm like wow you know uh, these are, are some smart white folks <laughs> <laughs> you know, so again, this thing comes to me that, you know, uh, as a as a young black man, you know, that 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 white people are smarter than I am. You know, the the, the, the English professor, you know, kind of kind of uh, alluded to that. You know, the uh, the apprentices uh, inadvertently uh, showed me or, or made me believe that, you know. And it wasn't until one of the one of the uh, apprentices was just sharing something that he had done. And he said that he had worked with his father building garages from the time he was seven years old, you know, and, 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 and it hit me, you know, it, it was an epiphany, you know, here I am thinking that I'm slow, you know, when the fact of the matter is I have not been exposed to some things that other people have been exposed to. You know, it had nothing to do with the color of my skin. It had everything to do with my exposure to the things that I'm, that I'm about. And we can take that back, you know, to the to the to the Moby Dick experience. You know what I mean? You know, uh, I'm sure everybody in the class that that got a, other than an F was aware that that's how you uh, uh, how you look and, 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 and do an essay on uh, or, or a book report. You know what I mean? You know, you take and try to figure out what it is that this author is saying. What is it that he's trying to convey? You know, 
And for me today, you know, I totally understand that. And I look at it now in retrospect in a totally different way. And I could have done that and then likened it to what it is that I felt it symbolized for me. You know, and uh, if I had done that, then he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, he would not have given me an F. He couldn't have given me an F because I was merely expressing my opinion. And I know that what I read, I could have definitely written an essay that would have been uh, uh, acceptable. And probably, probably, you know, I, I would have gotten a, a much higher grade. out of the court. Not probably. I know I would have gotten a much higher grade. But I say that to say that the fact of the matter is uh, there is no one that is smarter than someone else. You know, all this IQ stuff and that kind of thing, uh, all that's all well and good. It's a means of, of measuring people's intelligence quotient, I think it is, or quota, whatever the case might be. But the fact of the matter is it has nothing to do with how intelligent you are as far as I'm concerned. You know, it, it has everything to do with what you can retain and regurgitate, you know, but it has nothing to do with uh, what, what your capabilities are. You know, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, as I look back at the things that, that I've done, you know, the only reason I've been able to do them is because, for the most part, I like doing them. You know, I was once told, I said, my goodness, you surely know a lot about movies, you know, and the person told me that's because I love movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it was just a, a, a natural habit of that particular person to go to the show and 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 remember the the, the names of the actors and and that, and that kind of thing and be able to spit that out at any given time and by the same token a person that's taking uh, uh quantum physics you know is doing the exact same thing is one smarter than the other because of the subject matter no not at all you know is one is, is it has more knowledge about that particular subject matter because they spend more time uh, uh being involved with it you know, and so that's the reason I put down, you know, uh, uh, a person who loves designer clothes or luxury cars, you know, a person who loves uh, talking about things that other people might not know anything about, like hopscotch and double dutch. You know, a lot of y'all probably don't know my listeners, you know, don't know anything about that. And a lot of you do, you know, but there are people who, you know, I mean, I, at one point, double dutch was uh, on the road to being an Olympic sport. You know, it wasn't accepted as such, but it was on the road to being that, you know, simply because of the fact that the people that love double Dutch were doing all they could to make it happen on a greater scale, you know, and and they knew enough about it to even have it considered to be a sport, you know. And 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 the thing is, is that what is the reason for us being different in what it is that we like? You know, and what is it about us in terms of being uh, uh, dedicated to uh, to certain things that might not be that other people don't have the same dedication to? And I think it's a it's a divine plan. You know what I mean? I think that that the 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 diversity that exists is 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 for for a reason, you know, so that everybody can share with one another the things that they see, the things that they love, you know, in the hopes that at least people will get an idea of where it is that they're coming from. You know, and to me, that is so, so very important. You know, we we, we don't know each other. We really, really don't because we're, we're 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 prejudiced against each other because of circumstances of which we have no control over. Actually, unless we understand who does have the control and what we can do to allay that control or to or to to uh, offset that control in, in, in a way that it can benefit us all. 
as I said, my suggestion is that, you know, whatever it is that 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 you love doing, you know, uh, take a look at it. Take a look at it, you know, and and explore it, you know, and 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 do everything that you can to garner the knowledge that might help someone else who's able to have an opportunity to listen to what it is that you do. You know, because it's it's so much, so much knowledge in this in this universe. But by the same token, there's billions of people who have that all that knowledge, you know, together. We bring everybody together. We got, uh, you know, billions more knowledge than we have already, you know. And so um, if you know, if you if you love uh, like myself, let me let me let me use myself an example. You know what I love doing? I love running my mouth. You know, and I've taken speech classes and and uh, done whatever I can to learn how to better run my mouth. And I'm not an expert. You know, I got a long way to go and I'm constantly reading uh, more and more, especially since I got this show. I'm talking more and more because of the fact that I think it's a, for me anyway, it's a gift. You know, it's a gift. It's a love. It's a passion. And so I want to know everything there is to be known about conveying information by word of mouth because that's important to me. That's something that I love doing. And whatever that might be for you, you know, the fact of the matter is there are people in every arena who are very, very important in that particular arena. And I think their importance is overlooked because of the the hierarchical uh, position that they've been given as a result of being in a particular position. You know, like the, 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 the motherhood, that is so, so very important. So, so very important. And, 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 and mothers can help all of us to understand what it is to be a mother, you know, what it entails and what we can do to become better mothers. So I'm saying to all you mamas out there, you know, uh, get, get, get as much information as you can. Get as much information as you can and be willing to share with others. It's something I want to close with because I, I think is is of utmost importance in it and it gives credibility to what it is that I'm trying to c- convey. And that is that um, uh, from my readings, President Bush had never been to a grocery store. As you all know, his people been rich, uh, I think, dated all the way back to his great great granddaddy. But anyway, he never had to go. The second President Bush, Bush Jr., never had to go to a grocery store. So he's the president of the United States. Never having gone to a grocery store, never understanding uh, in terms of budget, how how can I uh, uh, budget my money so that I'll be able to feed my children? And so he gets all these experts to come in and when he's doing the budget, you know, to figure out what it is that they need to do to offset this and to contribute to that and that kind of thing. Did he ever think, you know, or did we ever think of the fact that if we go to any uh, project and talk to the mother of four children, who has a, a, a $400 a month budget. That's all the income she has is $400 a month. And we asked her, how in the world <laughs> do you feed, clothe, pay rent, and all that for your kids on $400 a month? I would think that she has a lot of expertise on that subject, wouldn't you? So, you know, we, we could y'all could have called a lot of welfare mamas into that into your, your session of, in Congress or whatever and ask them how do they budget their money. And I'm sure you'd have a much better idea of how to do it. But then again, we have to look at the fact that are you really concerned about budgeting our money? <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, that's just a point I wanted to make uh, in terms of why it's so important for us to to cherish whatever knowledge we have, to be willing to share whatever knowledge we have, knowing that in the end, all of us can benefit because no one of us knows everything, but all of us together know enough to help one another. Uh, thank you guys for listening.
I want you to stay tuned because the next show coming on, I'm not aware who the host of that show is, but I think this is her I'm looking at right now. So next week I'll know the name and I'm going to let you know who's coming on next. But today you're going to have to find out from her. So as always in parting, I'll holler. Thank you.